Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Owen Murphy and Ken here for Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hi, Ken, how are you? Hello, I'm very good. How are you? Well, I'm very good. And there's very little I enjoy more in life than watching Wayne Rooney watching Manchester United games while injured. Mm-hmm. If you take my point. Yeah, it's a matter. But... Yeah, well, it's one of the great pleasures in life. Do you remember what happened in April 2010 when he was out injured for the league game against Chelsea and watching from the corporate box? Is that the time he sneaked a sip out of the pint and then suddenly realised that maybe someone was watching him anyway and then pretended to sort of put it down and acted really still? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the one. Well, uh, no, that was a, that was a lunchtime game as well. My, my favourite part about that one was that he had got the pint delivered and he was in the corporate box uh, or some sort of box there at Old Trafford, sitting on his own. There didn't see anyone else there. Uh, you just see this hand, the, this door arrive in, and this hand pass over a full pint, yeah. big sloppy looking pint of bitter there, yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's sitting there beside him. He obviously realised, well, I can't be seen with a full pint. So what I'll do is I'll pour it into a glass. Yeah. So we actually poured from the pint glass into a... A coffee mug or a glass? It was still a glass. It was still okay. quite clearly beer. And actually, I don't think there was any evidence of him actually drinking it. I think he managed to twig that there are a lot of cameras at football grounds just before he... But he was still casting furtive glances at this glass for quite a long time. Really wanted that pint. Yeah. But anyway, priorities. Oh, hi, Kieran. I'm sorry, I never... Quite right, on. Welcome to you in there. How, uh, well, how you yeah, that's fine. That's, that's fine, fine, Owen. I mean, I, I, I don't think we should start the week in such a, you know, pessimistic mo- note that I'd have... So I think that you would have completely forgotten about my... No, I, I saw you there. Big okay. dopey head. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another week. <laughs> Wayne Rooney... Uh, sorry, in this case, he... Priorities do change, and now he's got kids of an age who that would sort of demand he brings him two games. So he's there, so he wasn't drinking. He was eating sweets. Mm. Taking out, in a very old man fashion, taking out this brown paper bag of sweets from his jacket, unwrapping it very carefully. It seemed to be wrapped very carefully. Passing one to his son. His own mouth seemed full of these sweets. You can only assume there were these sweets. Unless he was healthily eating, snacking on something else before we we got the footage of him passing the sweets to his little son. Dried fruit pieces, maybe. Yeah, could have been. That's what he was getting his teeth into. You finally watched the Wayne Rooney documentary recently. I did, yeah. I finally got around to watching it. Um, He didn't eat any sweets in that. mm, Did he not? Uh, No, he... uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, he he basically just sits in that big house all the time, and then occasionally he goes out. Well, in this documentary, he was driving a little bit around, um, you know, his old stomping ground. Yep. Croxeth. Yep. And uh, meeting yeah. up with all these. Meeting up with like the local people. Yeah, lovely old, oh, old man, ladies. Oh, good to see you again. Oh, yeah, good to see you doing business house tricks. Um, yeah, I mean, did you enjoy it? I thought it was. I thought it was okay. I mean, actually, some of the bits were, you know, when they kind of showed him. I mean, what what it really sort of brought home is just how he's had a career full of these brilliant beginnings, and then yeah, things haven't quite worked out as well as you would have thought. Because I mean, it, it's just a ridiculous series of of uh, kind of opening statements, you know, the goal against Arsenal. The debut for England was against, against Turkey. Turkey. Unbelievable, his skill level during that. Yeah. Um, Euro t- 2004 yeah. as a first international competition. The yeah. hat-trick for United against Fenerbahce. Yeah. I mean, that was just unbelievable, you know. And then after that, a series of broken metatarsals, incidents, off-field incidents, like like all lads. That, yeah, obliquely referred to by Colleen and Wayne. Well, like all lads, Wayne has and Roy Hodgson made as well. I don't think I don't think Roy Hodgson needed to bring that up. Actually, I mean, what, what did someone did did Lineker ask Roy Hodgson something? It was kind of towards the end of it. Um, you know, do you think he'd have any regrets? Or I think Lineker was talking about football. Really, Hodgson. Well, you know, I mean, like a, like a lot of lads, you know, I mean, maybe there's certain off-field things that he he you know maybe looking back he would have wished you know he hadn't done. And you're thinking, Roy, stop, <laughs> please. You know, we really needed you to just talk about you know uh, big ga- b- uh, big tournament games where Wayne Rooney has failed to. That's that that's what we were hoping you'd talk about there. Well, maybe Roy thought that the you know the certain things uh, would actually be less painful memories for Wayne than what actually happened in the 2006 World Cup or the 2010 World Cup. He probably shouldn't be stuffing his face with sweets though while injured, should he? Like a lot of lads, sometimes, <laughs> they make mistakes. Sometimes they he does things he shouldn't do. I mean, Rooney obviously is missing at the moment uh, from Manchester United's team. Um, uh, You're not too looks, worried about the Sweden. He's not going to be there for the for the Wolfsburg game, which is a very important game. They, I mean, a game they effectively have to win. Really, yeah, it's getting exciting. And it was an amazing weekend in the Premier League in general, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, Manchester United were booed off. Uh, Chelsea were booed off. Uh, Liverpool looked all set to win the league on Sunday morning. By Sunday evening, they'd been humiliated by Steve McLaren's Newcastle <laughs> and produced, honestly, one of their worst performances in years. You know, it was just it was abysmal. You know, just a team that has no idea what he's doing. Philippe Coutinho turns out quite an important player for them. Uh, it looked as though Arsenal were going to do the same thing when Giroud scored a, one of his trademark near-post goals into his own goal, but then managed to do score almost exactly the same goal in the second half into the right end. And so they're the only team that managed to make up ground. And obviously City lost. Tottenham couldn't beat West Brom. Um, so well, Leicester City made up ground. Don't forget about Leicester, despite well, Jamie Vardy's run coming to an end. Leicester are tearing away. at the time. I mean, Vardy had more chances in this game than he's probably had in most of the games that he's been actually scoring in. Uh, it's kind of amazing he didn't manage to score considering the, the number of times he was through. But uh, it couldn't last forever, I suppose. They seem to have done very well, though, to not be distracted by that. It can happen in sports, at least more of an American sport thing, where they're so obsessed with individual records. It becomes the only 
the only storyline. It's it's what it's all about is getting Jamie Vardy his goal. Mm. Yeah, you whereas do- Leicester City don't, don't seem to fall into that trap. They, his goals have just been pelling them to wins, and now he doesn't score, and they get a hat trick. Yeah, there. you certainly would have thought that when the run came to an end, that it would probably coincide with <laughs> Leicester playing losing. terribly and losing. Mm. Um, but that it, that hasn't been. The, I mean, to look at the Premier League top scorers, I was looking in the Times this morning. Uh, the you know the, the top ten scorers in the Premier League, and uh, one is Jamie Vardy. Two is uh, Lukaku, which I suppose you would have been expecting maybe to be at the bottom of this top ten. Third is... Is Mahrez, is Mahrez not, thir- not two? Thir- oh, I think they're all on ten goals. Oh, okay. Mahrez followed by Igalo. Mm. And, and then it's Giroud, Kane and Sergio Aguero. <laughs> this is a completely mental season. And the way you, you kind of talk about it, it was obviously a great weekend of the, in the Premier League because there were lots of entertaining things that happened. But... The, the bigger picture is that there is no good team in this league. Uh, there's no outst- uh, there's no one team better than everyone else. But even at that, even the teams that you're saying, right, well, one of them's going to win the league, they're not very good teams. And they'd barely finish in the top four in the Premier League it's seven or eight years ago. Which is crazy, given the amount of money that's there now. Yeah, although I don't, I don't know. I mean, Do you agree with Murph? No consistently good team? Well, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of quite good teams. And it is maybe true that there isn't a... There, there definitely isn't isn't really an outstanding team. Um, the closest is arguably Arsenal, who are probably going to get knocked out of the Champions League tomorrow in the group stage. So, um, no, it doesn't reflect it doesn't reflect very well. But I do think that you know, I mean, even you know, look at look at Newcastle. Newcastle are there um, playing terribly, have lost most of their games. Beat Liverpool yesterday. The you know the player who's making the difference for them is Vinaldum. You know, a kind of a Dutch international. You know, even the bad team in the Premier League, Newcastle have been one of the worst teams, obviously. You know, look at the league table, look at their form. Um, still has got, uh, still is able to call upon a player like that. You know, I don't think you really are getting that situation in uh, in most of the leagues around Europe. The Leinster club football final was played at the weekend, won by Bally Bowden. We're going to talk to Conal Keeney, who was one of their main men. It was their first ever Leinster title in football or hurling, which I was surprised about. Not necessarily the football, but uh, they've been the dominant force in Dublin for years in in hurling and they've never quite gotten over the line in Leinster. Keeney has obviously been key to a lot of the hurling success as well so looking forward to chatting to him. There was a classic 14-yard free miss though. Murphy, this happens every once in a while in GEA and players tend to be remembered for this moment for quite a few years afterwards. Yeah, this was, Paul, uh, Paul Callan. For yeah, a, a guy who's uh, has actually played brilliantly in the Leinster Championship this year. Not that that would be of any consolation to the poor lad this morning I would have thought but uh, a minute into injury time uh, there, there's never been more, any more than a point between the teams hardly for the entire game actually excellent game really really good game in uh, pretty terrible underfoot conditions and uh, 14 yards out on his good side I mean I would say as a man who has missed a 14 yard free I would say easier even than the straight on one because he's he's at just a tiny bit of an angle, so he can curl it in. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I mean, basically, all he has to do is just basically hold the ball out in front of him and swing his leg at it, and you know, you think, right, that's what happens. But of course, this—it's an unbelievably high pressure situation. Uh, it's to force the game to go to extra time. Uh, maybe there, you know, maybe there is an element that he actually doesn't concentrate on. It. He just says, "Thank Christ, we have the chance to." level the game here yeah there are two things that could be happening he could be tightening up choking in the classic sense of the word just thinking too much about the the circumstances that he's in and what's going to result from his actions or there could be that what you talk about there which is 
just it being so easy, such a mechanical thing that he doesn't think about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of want to be thinking about it to a certain extent, is what I'm saying, Murph. What yeah, th- you're doing. This, is the, this is the position where every free taker who goes through a you know, practice drill, he starts here, hits five. Mm. Right, right, these, they're the five just to get myself going. It's basically part of your warm-up. It's, they're, they're, you're not actually practicing freeze. You're warming up for the practicing of freeze from this position, which is, yeah, I mean, you're watching, you're just going, God, that's not, that's not nice. That's not a memory he's going he's gonna to forget in a while. First up, it's rugby. Munster beaten, ha- well, I was going to say hammer, beaten convincingly in the end, in the second half anyway, by the Dragons 22-6. Not much of a response at all to the defeat by Connacht. And next up, it's Leicester in the Champions Cup this Saturday at Tallman Park. Jerry Thornley, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. And you? Uh, pretty good. It was nice that we were talking positively about Connacht last week because yep. most of our conversations <laughs> this year have been, a lot of them have been about Leinster and their struggles. But Munster, they've only had that one height in Cup game so far, one Champions Cup game so far. But uh, how worried would you be uh, about them after 10 changes made for this game against Dragons and a fairly dispiriting defeat? Very dispiriting. I mean, confidence must be low. Uh, okay, traditionally Munster often lose before going into Europe. That's you know, it's a dog-eared script down in Limerick, and then they rally and they they come to Fortress Thomond Park Saturday night, visit of an English side, and they pull out a big performance. And one of the golden rules of the Heineken Cup always was you never write Munster off. But even so, to lose for the first time in almost three decades at home to Connacht, and then to lose as abysmally as they did away to the Dragons yesterday, I watched the game, um, is a very worrying low ebb. Well, how abysmal was it? The first half, they actually had a couple of nice moves. One lovely strike move. Um, Amarasino should have scored a try. Zebo did score a try that probably should have been allowed. You take both those chances and it could well have been a different game. Confidence sweeps through a fairly young, callow side. When it started to get tricky, it started to crumble and they started to force it and too much of the running was lateral. Not enough players coming on to pace onto the ball. Increasingly, as the match wore, wore on, Dragons got better and months got worse and by the end Dragons were almost full value for a 22-9 win now that's not you know that's happened before Munster have um, going into that game at 1-6 loss 6 and Rodney Parade is not a particularly attractive place for visiting sides to go to the Dragons do have a pretty decent home record not so this season but they'd only played three home games I think so it's not in, an, in itself it's not the end of the world it's just it's coupled with the Connacht game they're a funny case Munster this year I would be worried about them in lots of ways I've mentioned this show before that they're 9 million in debt is my understanding still in Thoman Park to the IRFU I'm also, I've heard that the repayment on that is going to be put back a few years simply because they can't make the payments at the moment um, they don't have a, gr- a vintage pool of players they did really well to make the semi-finals three years and two years ago mm-hmm. really in, in such a tra- transitional phase in their development when you think of the roster of le- legendary players they've lost but what's worrying about this is you look through that team and yes the likes of Andrew Conway Francis Ayali Keith Earls Ian Keatley BJ Botha maybe Donica Ryan CJ Stander particularly will all come back into the mix and Stander is vital to their go forward game he's the one that gets them over the game line he is the reference point for their running game um, but in times past you had the likes of obviously Paul O'Connell Ron O'Gara Peter Stringer Jerry Flannery all these kind of warrior types leaders real characters and you just wonder where the characters are in the team um, to lift them with, and it's it, if they lose at home to Leicester, it would look pretty grim for all the provinces. And I suppose you're looking for new characters to emerge in games like yeah. this against uh, the Dragons at the weekend. Anthony Foley referenced this afterwards. They had to make well, they made ten changes, and he said players have been given their chance, but they haven't taken it. And he went into quite a bit of detail about that. It's he didn't break out that cardinal rule of coaching where you, sh- where you don't slag off your players. He wasn't talking about individuals as such, but it sounds like. He wanted to make a point 
even publicly to to show these players that that's not really acceptable for Munster? Very much so. And, you know, you've also got to remember that managers and coaches in the immediate aftermath of the full-time whistle, um, their guard is down more so than any time. Um, he's less likely to say something like that on a Tuesday at a media briefing than he would be straight after the game, the same of all, as all managers. And he was acutely disappointed. He looked acutely disappointed after the Connacht game, but even more so yesterday. And it was very interesting the language he used. I mean, I've always thought Anthony Foley has been very honest in his dealings with the media. I mean, I don't quite understand those who wouldn't say he doesn't because he, for me, he's always been fairly upfront and frank um, and a breath of fresh air in that respect. But he, then he went on to say, we, want to, we um, want to get our heads down now and make sure we give a performance against Le- Le- Leicester at home in, in Europe so as to stop the rot, stop this rot. Mm. Like, it's only two defeats, but it is interesting that... In a sense, they haven't really been tested this season. They've been swim, flying under the radar in a major way. All their wins bar one have been by a score. Their two defeats thus far have been by a score. They hadn't, they've only played Treviso at home in, in, in the European Cup. And now this Leicester match looms as their litmus test. Um, and it's at Toman Park on a Saturday night. And if, if they were to follow the examples of Ulster and Leinster and all three Irish provinces lose at home to English Premiership teams... It would be uh, it would be quite damaging psychologically. The Irish rugby, not just Munster rugby, that needs is, something to turn this weekend. It does really, and that um, that phraseology is interesting. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it. it, and, it Okay, it's only a short little phrase, but it's clearly what he feels. He feels it's a rot, even if it's only a couple of games. Usually, coaches argue the other way. They might lose three or four, and they mm. still won't accept that uh, there's any anything wrong. That there's any s- systematic issue there. But for him to use that phrase, obviously in, in his own head, even if it is immediately after a game before the dust is settled, he obviously feels something is wrong. He sounds frustrated, I guess, is the word. Yeah. You don't quite know what it is. Yeah. Uh, and you have to get them out of it for a big game against Leicester. Big time. And I think you're, you've hit on something in the sense that if he's saying this publicly, you can be sure his language is even more angry within the confines of the squad of team room meetings and the dressing room after match. And I think maybe he is trying to put it up because he realises this is something of a critical week in their season. I mean, it's not too far off saying the provinces and provincial rugby in Ireland is reaching something of a crisis point. Mm. It really isn't that far off. And it's true for Munster as it is for Leinster and Ulster. I mean, they've got Leicester at home this Saturday. But if you lose at home to one of your main pool rivals, even with a pool with Treviso in it, you're in big trouble already. And uh, I don't know if they get out from that hole that they've dug for themselves. And it would be an interesting test of their resilience, the old Munster fortitude and that character we've spoken about to see how they do respond this week. Now, Paul O'Connell would have been cracking the whip on the training ground um, and so, so would Ron O'Gara and so would Jerry Flannery and others. They, it's up to others now to do that. They're really unfortunate, though, in that the heirs to the throne, Peter O'Mahony and Conor Murray, who would be the natural two leaders, I think, of this team, the captain decide frequently, um, they look like the heirs to the throne and they're both sidelined. I'm hearing that Conor Murray's got little chance of making it back this weekend. And then in the longer term, you've got to think of the, their financial, powerless financial position, um, crowds on the on the down. There's no doubt about it. They're still advertising tickets for this match on a Saturday night against Leicester at home, which would have been unthinkable a few years ago, obviously. And so many key men out of contract at the end of the season. Simon Zebo being a case in point. Now you look at it from his point of view. He's just been dropped out of the Irish team and the Irish squad even for the World Cup quarter final, despite producing some of the best rugby he's produced this season. He then comes home to Munster and he's playing on the left wing in Rodney Parade, making tackles against the Dragons. And if if they were to go pear-shaped in Europe already this season, and we Irish rugby looking down the barrel of no provincial side getting through from from November or December, say. Well, I mean, what's the encouragement for him to say, if, say, a French club, and I'm hearing this, that a club like Poe, there's no concrete offers on the table yet, nothing in writing, 
Um, it, there's a lot, a lot of there's going to be a lot of sagas to go this season. It could be the most of what I'm going to be writing about. I'm afraid, but um, Zebo, um, would you blame him if he's on three or four times? He's been on for three or four times the salary, and this is a problem now that the Irish clubs are going to face from England as well as France and. Just rub salt in the wound. Then you go and see JJ Hanwin kick a monstrous penalty for Northampton to beat Bath. The well, that's one of your great bugbears that he was allowed to go anyway. Yeah. yeah. With Zebo, is there an argument though that if he was to go to France, that he's he's almost giving up on his shot at an international career under Joe Schmidt? Everybody knows that you're more likely to be picked if you stay at home. But particularly for him, he's a player who Schmidt has never seemed fully convinced by. He dropped him for the last game of the Six Nations as well. He's brought him. He seems to have. He seems to have, under Joe Schmidt's tenure, started to understand what Schmidt wants, and you kind of get the sense that the, that he's he's getting there, but he's never fully Schmidt's guy. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm just reading between the lines. Well, I'm not reading between the lines. I'm reading uh, uh, on the lines the fact that he keeps getting dropped for these key games. So if he was to go to France, I mean Schmidt might nearly forget about him. I think there's every likelihood of that. I, if, if I if I was to advise Simon, um, I'd advise him to stay in rugby reasons. I think by and large, although you could argue that a move to top 14 could broaden his horizons, he would be quite equipped to make the move given that he's a fluent French speaker, given his dad came from the Martinique and, and he was reared in France, so he speaks fluent French and that wouldn't be such difficulty for him. You've also got to remember that two years ago when he signed his provincial contract, he was a single 23-year-old. He's now a 25-year-old with a young family. He's become a dad. So, you know, there are financial considerations here. It's a short career and it can end very suddenly for some that are unlucky. So you can't really blame him if he decides to make the move. I agree with you, though. I think it would definitely put his test career on the back burner for the two years that he goes. Yeah, it's not Johnny Sexton going to France no. and, and, and had all the stock and I think, to start him. I kind of think that's fair enough because if you start picking players that go abroad as soon as they go abroad, then you're, that's another in, incentive taken away as in terms of staying. Whereas if you pick players who are home-based, it's a greater consideration for them to stay. So I hope he stays for his sake and for Monsters and for Irish rugby's. All I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me if he left. Although he did keep picking Sexton. That's just a different case. Different case. Entirely. Completely different case. A bit like Jordy Murphy all the years he was in Leicester Tigers. Just special circum- special players deserve special circumstances and special considerations. Um, Simon Zegel would not fall into that category. I think just in reference to Joe Schmidt in Ireland, just yep. to put this in, in put this, the record straight on this, let's, you're right, I think, that Zebo had to convince Schmidt about a lot of things. He doesn't... Uh, makes his physical presence tell at the tackle area as much as Joe Schmidt would like in terms of clearing out effectively, um, working harder in contact and so forth. He has improved immeasurably in the air. He's got an X factor. We all know that. It's not just in his running game, it's his passing game. And um, Schmidt saw something in to convert him into a full back come winner, picked him ahead of Felix Jones, brought him to the World Cup and probably would have been on the bench for the quarterfinals but for the doubts about the injuries in midfield. And that's why he thought he should have Luke Fitzgerald there who, as it happened, also could cover wing. And, you know, we all saw what he did against Argentina. There was, you can't really have any complaints about that selection. Yeah, fair enough. The crowds you mentioned there, was, yeah. uh, the reported figure was 9,400 at the Connick game, game yeah. last week. Uh, I'm never 100% sure about these reported figures. Uh, I'm sure they're as accurate as they can be, but generally season tickets seem to count in those. So whether or not the, everybody actually attends when they have a season ticket, it will be up for debate on that one. But no, they're all inflated. Yeah. Uh, and you can't rely on them at all thing. anymore now, yeah. unfortunately. You're yeah. Right. Uh, th- would that be as big a concern as anything that these crowds and Leinster against Ulster was a poor crowd as well? Yeah, it was, and um, coming into, and there just seems to be a, 
Bit is, of a damn squib about it, the provincial provinces in general. Is that you know anything I mean? to do with the post World Cup? Are fans Huge. having this post World Cup hangover that the players? Definitely, are, are they're probably about. having a bigger one. Yeah. I don't think a, it's a hard one. to get enthused by it. Yeah, uh, particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is uh, when they're not doing well. Yeah. It's, and it becomes a catch twenty two, or if you like, a vicious circle uh, that only spirals downwards. Less punters coming through the gates, less mo- less money coming into the coffers, less money to spend on keeping players or buying in players, and you know. You look at that monster set up there now and how, how beneficial it might have been for them to sign Stephen Moore for a year or whatever, how good that would have been. A, a World Cup finalist, Australian captain with monster roots and how much other players would have learned around him, you know. And, and a bit like all of them, really, they're lacking real ballast in the tight, tight five. I mean, I don't think, you know, I think John O'Foa and Johan Muller sorely miss still at, at Ulster. They just don't have that kind of dynamic um, ballast in the tight five that you need at this level. And I don't think Ulster, uh, Munster have it at the moment and Stephen Moore would have been a great fit, so... Yeah, it's, it's very concerning because we know how hard Limerick has been hit in the recession. Um, and there is still a core group of diehard fans there. But, and, but they're at a, it's at a low ebb, there's no doubt about it. And um, they need something to turn it around and no better time than this coming Saturday. It would do wonders for the organisation if they could manage a win this Saturday. Will they do it? You obviously sound concerned about it. But what percentage chance would you give of Munster beating Leicester? It'd be interesting what the bookies do. I would think that as things stand... Leicester would be marginal favourites, even in even in Thoman Park, they would come over maybe as marginal favourites, but not much more because Munster's pedigree and you know strengthen the team with the likes of Stander, Ryan, Botha, Keatley, so forth. Saeeli is a big player for them. They all come back in. Um, they've got a shot for sure. Munster at home, you can't write them off at home at the moment. I'd need to see the two teams come close to the, to the actual weekend. I'm not feeling terribly confident about the Irish province at the moment. I'm feeling even less confident about Leinster going to Toulon and the stellar backline they put out and run up 50 points. They've, they've really hit their straps to lose a big gnarly pack that look equipped to come to Ravenhill on a Friday night. So, generally speaking, I'll take any win this weekend. Yeah, it sounds like it isn't Jerry Britta. Thank you. No, thank you. FIFA made a movie recently. Did uh, they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Zach Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible, Eagle, but the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, with one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do. And that was it. With one or two explosives. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds, and I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for FBI. Yeah. And we've used the figure there. Well done to you. If you were Simon Zebo, Murph, would you be sticking around? No. Really? No. I, 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 Young family, go, go to France, enjoy the life there, get really well paid. Yeah. That would be your bad. I mean, I'd like, I, I, rather than constricting the argument to go to France, you should really be trying to construct an argument to stay in Munster. Why am I saying? Yeah. I mean, Joe Schmidt's not going anywhere, and Joe Schmidt doesn't fancy Simon Zebo as a rugby player. And the international game is he still, where... He, he still does pick him... Quite a lot. I think maybe the way I was questioning Jerry there was sounding as though Zebo can't get a look in with Joe Schmidt. He still starts more games than he doesn't for Schmidt, but then it does seem that for the key games, oftentimes, yeah. He's the and guy you know, when when the 
there's a full complement of wingers available to him. Where do you actually think he will lies in Joe Schmidt's thinking? I mean, fourth, fifth. You know, would you put Andrew Trimble ahead of Simon Zebo, even taking into account all of the... Fit, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's not a very good situation for Simon Zebo to be in. Uh, France, rugby in France is actually pretty amazing. Uh, like, the crowds are really good, the grounds are really good, the league really, really matters in a way that the Pro 12 never will. Although a lot of the games are dire slugfests, which wouldn't be Zebo's cup of tea. Yeah, but they all matter. They all, ma- you know, really, really matter. I mean, if you, you know, the... The, the focus is e- uh, equally on the domestic as it is on Europe and perhaps even more so. And with Munster, what you're talking about with all of the provinces is, oh, well, if you lose this game, it's a season defining. I mean, nothing that you can do in the Pro 12. Winning it doesn't save the season. So rather than playing a team that has a season defining game in November or December, play for a team that, you know, you got to run at the string at least, you know. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to what you what now. Come down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> Take aggressive military action against brackets a place or enemy forces close brackets with weapons or armed force criticize or oppose fiercely and publicly what would I be doing Owen if I was to do those things what was the second one criticize or oppose fiercely and publicly or take aggressive military action against a place or enemy forces with weapons or armed force well attack you attack I'd be attacking Owen I've got to pack myself more there attack Attack. Um, attack. Attack. Attack, attack, attack. The Manchester United fans seem to know what they want. But what do they mean? What, <laughs> what do they really mean? Uh, that is one of the questions we were exploring in today's football podcast. Bally Bowden St. Enders won their first ever Leinster title yesterday in either hurling or football. And I'm delighted to be joined now by Conal Keeney, who is... Uh, one of the star men for them, Connell. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on the win. I know your manager said that after the Dublin Championship victory, you were straight into the provincial series, so the players didn't really get a chance to celebrate properly. Have the lads made up for it this time? Seems that way. We're probably one of the one of the better nights I've seen in the club, you know. Even though we won, uh, we've got a lot of county finals before, but you know, last night everyone seemed to come out of woodwork. Congratulations! But uh, no, it's nice to win it, and um, I think lads will celebrate it today and maybe tomorrow. But after that, you know. Still not happy with, with what we got. We, we just still want more, you know. As you said, there's been a lot of county success, particularly in hurling. Um, are you surprised that it's actually in football that you've managed to get over the line in the Leinster Championship? Uh, I suppose, to be honest, yeah. Um, you know, every year we, we kind of set our stall out, and the whole lot of us would always kind of concentrate more on the hurling early than the football. And this year was no different, really. We we, we were focusing on the hurling all year, and um, it just kind of happened that we were beaten, and that we just throw a lot of the football. And, 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 and in fairness to Andy, he was, he was very obliging, and you know he never put any pressure on us either way. And um, that's, that's a credit to him and his style, the management style, that he gets the best of the lads without kind of putting too much pressure on them. And um, I think it, it shows the last couple of games that we had that 
serious character that this team has and they, they never know when they're reading you know it's interesting that you say that that's how it works with the football and hurling because so f- few clubs manage these days successfully to to really have uh, football and hurling running simultaneously but it's it's almost a player-led thing is that the way is that the way you describe it there that hurling is really the number one but that there's when you can there's enough players there who can focus on the football yeah i would say that you know the, the nucleus of the off the team yesterday was is a good lot of hurlers, you know, with Heine and Stephen O'Connor and Shane Durkin and, and myself and a few others. Like um, every year, we we probably looked at winning a, win a hurling championship and uh, and obviously trying to progress the Leinster after, but it doesn't always happen that way. And then then we just happen to fall into the football, and um, it's it's funny the way it happens. But um, I think this team is, it shows huge character and um, massive belief. You know that that's just, that that that's it, that the the ability that everyone has, you know, and um, it, it only the more more football we get in, in, in the championship, the better we seem to get. How do you find it, uh, the football side of things now with the club? Is it is there a little bit maybe less pressure now that you've been devoted to hurling at intercounty level over the last few years? Um, not so much, really. No. You know, I, I think it's uh, you know everybody, you know, everyone goes out to try and perform as well as they can. And, um, for, for me, going back playing the football with the club, it's, it's kind of like a break, you know. You you, you kind of you get tired of going training with inter county, and you know mentally you get fatigued. But um, it, it's always good going back playing a bit of football, and you know, as I said, it's just like a break, and it's really enjoyable. Um, and with a bunch of lads that are there, they're, they're so they, they accept you back into the squad straight away. You know, there's no nothing like you know we've been training all year and you haven't been here, nothing like that. Um, and uh, okay. It's a serious, talented team, you know, and it probably doesn't get the credit they deserve uh, in the last number of years. And I'd say if you looked at the odds for next championship, club championship, we're probably further forward behind Vincent, Slunkus, and Ballymun again. You know, we're just not raising in Dublin, but that's, that's fine with us. Surely that's changing now, though, now that you're Leinster champions, no? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know. I, I, people would always say that, you know, we've no real huge stars. Okay, Mick McCauley. But other than that, we're... we're we're a great team, you know, and there's no real individual on the team that that that, that, that shoots the lights out every game. And I thought the likes of Vincent would have Jeremy Connolly and Matthew Quinn, and you know, and Bally Moon would have the same. You know, all big big stars. And we're just a, we just keep plugging away, and um, we seem to just grind out results all the time, and and, and uh, probably overachieve a lot of times. Does that suit you though? Uh, the, I think most teams do like the idea. I think that while it can be annoying, maybe if you're not getting that much respect, as much respect as you should be. It certainly makes it easy to motivate yourselves. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like uh, people write us off all the time, and probably Vincent probably did it in the county final. You know, they just didn't really rate us uh, as, as good as we are. You know, um, yeah. and they got caught on the hop. And probably, you know, it's happened over the years so many times, and we've been always there, thereabouts with, with county championships. So, you know, we've just been tipped with a couple of points here and there. And um, you know, I think we have serious belief in the team. And I think this year, more than any year, that Andy has really instilled in. Um, you know, it's great credit to him for, for putting the whole thing together and, and keeping it on the road, you know, because a lot of lads have left in the last couple of weeks and lads have come in and, you know, this, they just, this team just keeps rolling on. It doesn't matter who's there, what individuals, it just keeps, just keeps going. For people who didn't see yesterday, it was uh, it was a tense enough affair. It was, uh, well, it was a lot of decent football played, a lot of good football, but there was uh, a free Paul Callan had for them, 14 yards out. About the, I saw Paul, Paul Durkin afterwards is in goal for you guys, and he said he was already thinking about where he was going to put his kick out. Did you assume that it was about to be levelled up at that stage? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think a 14-yard free should be put over at this stage. You know, At this level, but look, I can totally understand how it happens. You know, 
he just totally miskicked it and you know didn't give it a full concentration. But those, those things happen, and, and I suppose that's sport, and you have to take your luck when you get it. Um, I was certainly turned around and, and was, was gearing up for for extra time at that stage, but. Uh, when I, I couldn't believe he put it wide, you know. But um, you went over and had a word with him afterwards. Did you, did you just try to console him a little bit? As a free taker, I know what it's. You know. Yeah. Okay, I, I had a couple of easy ones to put over, but I can, you know, you're, this, that fear is always there <laughs> that you could screw off the footy very easy, and you get blamed. Then you know, I can totally understand it. And if it's not, he, he's a great footballer. I know we, we've been keeping an eye on him all, all through this Lancer campaign, you know. And, um, and Shane Clayton and friends did a great job with him yesterday. But uh, look, those things happen, and I wouldn't be. T- wouldn't be too worried about it for him, you know. I'm sure he'll be back and he'll be better, better player for us. Um, but look, that's that's the way it goes, you know. Yeah, yeah I uh, I was at the Connacht final uh, last Sunday week, and I was actually also at the the Ulster final last week, Connell, and I was really surprised at just the quality. First of all, the quality of football is always going to be there, but the, the open style of football. I mean, the Ulster final last week was played in an absolute downpour. And yet, there was still more accurate kick passing in that game than I would say there were in lo- than there were in loads of championship games during the summer. And it's it's kind of interesting that uh, for all of the talk about uh, blanket defences and other, it hasn't really come into club football to the extent maybe that 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 you might think. And this is the upper echelons; these are the provincial finals, the best teams in the country, and it's not really there at anything like the same extent it is at at inter county level. No, probably not. Uh, like yesterday, there was a lot of times when maybe there was me and maybe uh, and Sam in the full forward line and nearly no one else in the whole half. You know, and it was very strange to have only two on two in, in, in nearly half our half our pitch. You know, usually there's five or six uh, lads there covering the space. But I, I think it's um, I, I'm not really sure. I think teams do set out like a lot, if you watch our county final against Vincent's, You know, we basically were trying to hang on in the last. 10 or 15 minutes um, and hold on to the lead and everyone was back defending but I, I, it's certainly not a tactic for us to, to, to be kind of negative in that we always want to go and win the game and I think that a lot of teams are like that you know um, you have to go and, and, and chase the game and, and really really go forward and attack and it, it's with, like with ourselves with Andy he just tell even the full back line if you get a chance go forward keep going you know um, yeah. but I think it's great you know you know, it's, it's very hard to watch some of the football you know especially last summer uh, in the league and, and, and the championship when the defences are packed and it's just getting broken down and every defence you know it's not enjoyable to play I'm sure and, and, and to watch so it's great that well, that could change you know when, who we're playing next I don't know but um, it seems to be so far it's fairly open football you know That All-Ireland semi-final Connell is going to be sometime in February obviously you'll be involved with the dubs with the hurlers at that stage are you going to be able to make them both work together? Um I don't really know, to be honest. Probably not. You know, I, I suppose I spent a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to do in the future, and I'm not getting any younger, and legs aren't getting any fresher. Like so, uh, I would say, you know, I'll have to make a call on something in the next the next couple of a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and um, it's it's not going to work play, trying to play both. You know. Yeah. So you're you're not you're not 100 percent sure what that call is going to be yet, or? Yeah. No, not yet. I think. Okay. I'm not under huge amount of pressure, but um, just just for your own headspace, you probably want yeah need to need to make a decision, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Look, it, it, I think it's it's only fair for for the club and for the inter county, and um, you know have to do what's right for me and have to do it right for for Dublin, whether that's me staying on or me me retiring. I'm not sure yet, but yeah, I'll certainly make that call now, uh, soon enough. Do, do you have to talk to a lot of people about that, or is it just something that's going to be in your own head? You you just work it out yourself. Uh, no, I just work it out myself. Really, okay. to be honest, and maybe talk to a few people that we're very close to and have. 
you know, will, will be fairly honest in their opinion on, on, on what's the best thing for, for me and for, for Dublin. And um, I suppose those kind of people that would be close to me, I would always be talking to all the time. So just have a, have a chat with them and, and see what's their opinion and, and how I feel myself. And um, if, if, it's, if it's the right thing to, to, to retire, it's the right thing to do, you know. So I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to wait and see the next couple of days. I haven't really talked too much about it. Absolutely. It wasn't well done again yesterday, Colin. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Okay, no problem, thanks. All right, well, that's a pretty interesting stuff there from Connell about his own future, that uh, he's not sure at the moment what he's going He's hinting there, poss- possibly retiring, but as he says himself, he hasn't made anything, made his mind up one way. I suppose if you are weighing it up, if you're already weighing up your future as an intercounty hurler, maybe having this run at the Club Football All-Ireland could be, it could be another factor in the pro column, as in, the pros when thinking about retiring from the hurting. You've mm. got something to, I don't even want to say fall back on, that makes it sound like some sort of constant. You've got this massive thing going on with your club that you you love to be able to pour some energy into as well. And he says he can't do both. So yeah. it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, well, certainly I, you won't see Conal Keeney in a Dublin jersey until Bally Budden are out of the, the club football championship. I think we can say that with a fair degree of certainty. But after that, maybe... You know, um, maybe the, the enthusiasm you get from the club championship is something that you can carry into the hurling. I mean, it's it's you know, it's certainly you would say something like that if if Ballyboden had won the Leinster Club hurling championship yesterday, that you would say that you would you oh, would, yeah. you could take some of that enthusiasm and bring it to you. So I'm sure that it doesn't matter a whole lot that it's football and hurling, but. Yeah, I mean it is, and you know there were rumours today that Danny Sutcliffe yeah. is, is. I mean that it's could just thought be, that he's leaving the panel. Um, yeah, that could just be November classic November December GA uh, rumour chat. Be, be pretty bad news if his Conal Keeney and Danny Sutcliffe yeah. in one swoop. That would not be. That would not be. Uh, that would not be good. Ken, you're back on the road tomorrow. Back to your favourite city in the world. Yeah, beautiful bright lights of Las Vegas. Yeah, going back to Las Vegas. Um, and I'll go back on the New York New York roller coaster. See if you yeah, can I th- I think you should, once yeah. and for all. I don't think I'm going to go back on that roller coaster. But I just want to see similar photos to last time. I want to see if you can pull off a f- an enjoying face, a face that would even hint at the lie that you're enjoying yourself. On I definitely wouldn't be able to do that. I, would, I didn't enjoy that experience <laughs> at all. It was a frightening. Um, it was. It was. The, it reminded me of that. Really, all I am on is a bunch of kind of bags of of liquid of varying viscosity. Uh, easily punctured or kind of shaken out of uh, out of internal organization, mm. and you know it reminded me of how precarious uh, my life on Earth really is, and I didn't like that feeling one little bit. I saw McGregor was on Jimmy Kimmel. Actually, I haven't seen this. I've been told about it. Mm. Yeah, I watched it. Yep, that he charmed. Yeah, he was he was uh, reasonably charming. I must say. Uh, I wouldn't say it was one of his best performances. Actually, no. Not really. He was yeah, I think that's what I think that's what I liked about it. What he was a bit more human. He was McGregor, but you know, not too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that was. He did say at one point that he's giving serious consideration to buying an exotic animal. Um, Anyone in particular? Well, there was a, a tiger where, was mentioned. A, a, a tiger was mentioned. You know, because I think he mentioned Mike Tyson. Uh, and the, you know what a legend Mike Tyson was. And Jimmy Kimmel said, "Oh, you know Mike, he was great. You know, he used to have that tiger. Maybe McGregor brought up the tiger. I think Jimmy Kimmel then said, oh, you know, he used to sleep with that tiger, which I don't think is true. Right? I'm pretty, pretty sure. It's, da- it's a pretty dangerous. The tiger was unconscious. Um, I mean, chemically induced unconsciousness. Sleeping with a tiger is probably not something even Mike Tyson would do. McGregor, no. I'm not sure, realized it was a joke. Laughed along, 
and then said, I would like to get an exotic animal, though. <laughs> uh, maybe a chimpanzee. Right. So the chimpanzee would fall around. Chimpanzees themselves can be quite dangerous. You know, they, yeah, the one that Ross had in Friends was always a bit of a disaster. He had a chimpanzee. Yeah, and the really no, early it wasn't episodes. a chimpanzee. It was this much smaller monkey. Oh, chimpanzee. Sorry, are, too. Sorry, on. He was a terror anyway. Poor. Uh, are, are brutally strong. There I am talking about friends again. It was very powerful. Day without talking about. Uh, someone, uh, someone uh, made a reference to uh, fun. Bo- someone described me as a fun Bobby type oh, yeah, character, yeah, yeah. and I literally said that is a uh, pop culture reference that is at least twenty years old. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that you don't know what he was talking about. He's a character in France. But back to the chimpanzee. Well, I, I, I mean, first of all, I'm not, I, I have too much respect for these animals to think that it's appropriate to have them as pets. You know, they're, uh, they're proud beings. And, uh, and I, I think to have them as a pet is, is kind of uh, infantilizing them. You know, it's, it's making them ridiculous. Whether or not he really wants to get a chimpanzee. I would advise getting a smaller, less physically powerful monkey or ape if you wanted to go that way. He did also talk to Jimmy Kimmel about the fact that he does quite like the materialistic aspect of his new life. Uh, his, Jimmy Kimmel asked him how many cars he had and I think he had to think for a few minutes or he think for a couple of seconds. Mm, I'm not sure. Was the answer eight? Eight in the end, yeah. Um, so steadily expanding. Uh, You're looking forward to the fight itself. Is it actually going to happen? Is Alba going to? Well, I think it is. I mean, he, out again. he did another. He did a press conference there last week where he was talking about. Uh, he was saying, "Look, this fight. You know, he, he's kind of been predicting uh, that that Josella was going to pull out, but it doesn't look like that's actually going to happen. Looks like he is going to be there. Um, uh, and he was, and he was saying, "Look, you know, it's a bit like. Have you ever seen the movie Rocky Three? It's it's a lot like that. Essentially, you know, Rocky is there wearing this kind of cream iron sweater, and like he's totally gone soft, mm-hmm. and he's and he's doing all this media. And McGregor was comparing himself to Rocky in Rocky Three, how he he kind of he he was doing all this stuff, and it was obviously a massive distraction. But he still had the raw hunger of what's his name, Clubber Lang. <laughs> so, so he combined the it's an uh, awesome combination of Rocky Balboa and Clubber Lang the, from the. The pampered, period covered by Rocky Three. The pampered lifestyle of successful Rocky, uh, combined with the the voracious hunger and rage of uh, of Clubber Lang on the on the up. Yeah. So sounds like a pretty formidable and well dressed, nicely turned out champion that's going to be taking on Jose Aldo. Well, we'll catch up with you over there. I'm sure later on in the week, uh, Ken did produce a brilliant piece on the back of his last visit there for the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. You can read that now. Uh, it is available in bookshops and on secondcaptains.com. In the meantime, have a listen to the football podcast and yeah, we'll take our leave of you now. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank, Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks again. Chat soon. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Viva Thanks a lot, Pepe. Viva Go ahead, you the last one. Viva Yes, sir. And the new world federate of the championship.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 